We are a resource for learners, including every member of the Livestrong Cancer Institute's on-track educational pipeline from middle school to residency. We are a growing collection of interviews, talks, and experiences that uncover the myths and the uncertainties of cancer and careers in cancer in order to empower and inspire generations of thinkers and leaders. This is Cancer Uncovered, an education and empowerment podcast by the Livestrong Cancer Institutes. I had never been somewhere where we were truly building from the ground up. I mean, when I'm talking from the ground up, there were just no policies and procedures. We were imagining all of that. And I had never worked somewhere where there wasn't a policy already in place for, you know, X, Y, or Z. So it was just the the very tiny details had to be worked out. And it was exciting, um, but for sure a little overwhelming. Can't deny that. December is a special time for the LCI because two years ago today, we opened the doors of the oncology clinic at UT Health Austin. As you just heard, working in a brand new clinic can be exciting. You have a lot more autonomy and flexibility compared to working in a hospital that's been open for decades, but it has its challenges as well. That was Angela Luna. She's the senior clinical social worker in the oncology clinic at UT Health Austin and she's been here from the very beginning. However, she came to the LCI from New York City, where she worked at NYU's Langone Medical Center for many years, which is a huge hospital. So she has a unique perspective. You've heard in previous episodes that the clinic at the LCI is home to the innovative calm model of whole person care. One crucial piece of this model is that patients receive the emotional, mental, and behavioral health support that they need in addition to medical treatment, all in one place. Angela provides patients with this absolutely essential type of support, and she does a lot of other things as well. In this episode, we're going to dive into what it really means to be a clinical social worker, and specifically what it's like working in a new and rapidly growing cancer center. My name is Laura Pavitt, and I am part of the Livestrong Cancer Institutes at Dell Medical School at the University of Texas at Austin. And this is Cancer Uncovered. Before we dive into what the clinic was like when it first opened, let's start with the basics. What is clinical social work and what do you actually do? Oncology social work is its own specific area of you know, a really large and diverse field. So, you know, social workers do all sorts of things um, in the world, but oncology social workers have specialized training in identifying and meeting the needs of people with cancer and their loved ones. Um, And I'm a clinical social worker, so my training is really around supporting people's mental and emotional health, um, assessing problems and treating these problems, and trying to keep people healthy to prevent a decline in their mental health. I talk to patients and their caregivers, other family members about how they're really handling all the changes in their lives that are happening as a result of of a cancer diagnosis. I might talk to them um, and help them think about how they can improve communication with their doctor or other members of their care team. I talk a lot about resources with patients, you know, things that um, I, I certainly recognize that I can't support every patient and family member in every way that they need. So 
There are um, resources for things in the community that can offer support and just concrete, you know, assistance to address things like financial challenges that are so prevalent when it comes to um, somebody facing cancer. So I can offer any resources that I know of for that. Um, the other thing that I would add is that I I do think part of my job, it's a part that I take really seriously and I take to heart is um, trying to support other members of the team, my colleagues that, you know, I think the work that we do is really hard. And what is unique about social work is we have a lot of training in understanding and paying attention to our emotional reactions to the work that we do, because we know that we're humans, you know, coming to this work and talking to other humans. So there are all sorts of things that come up when you're working with patients. And sometimes it's sadness or anger or um, all sorts of things. It could be anything. And so I think that I try to help support my colleagues when they're in a particularly tough situation or having a hard time or maybe not able to see something, you know, maybe helping them see another perspective to better understand why work with a certain patient is really, really challenging. So that's the other thing that I think um, I'm sure that my clinical social work colleagues across oncology, you know, are doing a lot of that too. I know that from my own experience, it can be really hard to figure out what you want to do for a career. How did you get interested in this in the first place? And how did you know that this was the right path for you? I knew I wanted to be in medicine or in healthcare. Um, I really thought that I wanted to go to medical school, be a doctor, the whole nine yards. And then early on in, in my undergraduate career, realized that I was not so strong in really anything that I did, bio, chemistry, you know, any of those things, which are kind of necessary nuts and bolts. So I realized that I was much better at more of the communication stuff, talking to people, being empathic, trying to figure out, you know, how to solve problems um, of a different nature. So that kind of set some groundwork for my path to social work and particularly. But as far as oncology goes, it was really a personal experience that, you know, in social work, we have really solid boundaries between our personal and professional lives. It's important for the work that we do. Um, but I, I never mind sharing. And I think it's important to share that what brought me to cancer care was an experience with a loved one myself, because many of us in this part of the field, not just social workers, but all, you know, the colleagues that I come across, um, many of us have had these personal experiences. And I think it makes us more sensitive to the challenges that our patients are facing. Um, my aunt died at age 50, only of pancreatic cancer. And my mom was my aunt's primary caregiver at the end of her life. And um, I spent a lot of time with my aunt in a hospice residence at the very end. And I just remember being struck by how empathic and strong all of the care team members were in this hospice um, and how they were able to comfort my mom and put her at ease in a way that she hadn't been throughout my aunt's illness. And interestingly, I don't ever remember meeting a social worker, but I figured out that piece later. And I just remember thinking, like, I could do that. It takes a lot, I'm sure, but I could do it. And um, and I think about my aunt, too, in terms of my role, because she really didn't want to die. She was very strong and independent in so many of the qualities that I have, you know, I know I got from her, but I look back on her experience and realize that 
she really could have benefited from someone to talk to about what she was holding on to and what she was going through. And she had people around her, you know, who loved her, um, but she was really suffering emotionally because she wasn't ready to leave. And I wish that she had a social worker to spend some time with at the end. So I think of her sometimes when I'm doing work, um, both with patients and with caregivers, because um, it can be really, I hope, uh, a meaningful experience to have an hour to talk with somebody who gives you their undivided attention and isn't afraid to talk about the hard stuff. So I think of her a lot. And, you know, that is absolutely what brought me to this work. So figuring out how to how to do it and to add kind of social work to the mix was, you know, came a little bit later, but I knew that this was the part of the field I wanted to end up in. It's really powerful. And I think our listeners will appreciate knowing your story too, because like you said, it informs your experience working with patients and their caregivers, even when it gets hard. Yeah, of course. So now that we know more about what clinical social work is, what you do and why you do it, Can you tell us what it was like for you at the very beginning when the clinic first opened? It was really exciting. I think we all, I remember the first day we kind of all met the first initial crew, sort of um, one of each of us, you know, but it was also really daunting and definitely intimidating. I mean, I knew what I was getting into, but I also had never been the only one. And in my field, in my discipline, I'd worked other places with big teams of social workers. So I had colleagues to kind of run things by and, and I still have that in other places, but not within our clinic. And so I remember feeling a bit unsure. I do remember the first time Elizabeth Quale, who was our medical director at the time, we were in a meeting very early on. And she just, we were talking about a clinical situation or something. And she turned to me and said, well, Angela, like, um, what do you think? And it was a pretty basic question. And I don't even remember for the life of me what it was about. But I remember just thinking like, oh my God, I don't know the answer to that. Or do I know the answer to that? You know, I guess I'm the one now that should be answering this question. And um, I just couldn't remember the last time someone asked for my professional opinion. So that's a very sad statement. I mean, um, on the state of social work, I don't think that's true everywhere, but it was a very different experience. You know, the first several patients, I mean, they got like, I hope this was their experience, like the Cadillac of, uh, or now I guess you'd say like the Tesla of healthcare. And I remember there would be like 10 of us in there waiting for our turn to see like the one patient that was in the So we had to kind of step back and say, is this really serving them? Are we overwhelming them? But we were just so excited to, you know, get started and to test things out. And, you know, so since then, we've had to try to think about what are some ways that we can make sure we're identifying the patients that would most benefit from spending some time with me. You know, we're working on that. But at the beginning, it was very much like everyone saw every patient. I know you've had a lot of experience working at large medical centers and hospitals, which must have been so different than what you just told us about. And now you've been here for about two years. What do you really like about working in a new and growing cancer center? And then what are some of the challenges? You know, I think one of the things that is just so cool about being in a new clinic is you truly have an opportunity to do it better. You know, all of us have experience in so many other settings and we've seen the pitfalls of healthcare the way the ways that it doesn't serve people and that 
people feel like just these numbers and cogs in the wheel, you know, when they go to these big centers for care. And so I think what's so cool is that it's been truly an opportunity to say, no, this is how I want to do it. This is how I think we should be um, evaluating patients' needs from a social work perspective. And nobody, you know, in our clinic says, well, I disagree. You know, everyone says, sure. Okay. You know, you take that on. Sure. Um, And so it's very, very cool to have that opportunity to just try new things and to say like, I've had experiences, we've seen data that says, you know, that this other way doesn't work. So let's try it this way. So yeah, there are challenges, I think, for all of for our entire clinic, because, you know, there's a reason why I think the healthcare systems out there are the way they are. It's easier, it's faster, it's less expensive, you know, all of those things are kind of the default for a reason. And so we definitely struggle. And a lot of the the challenges that we have with um, taking care of patients, they're not social work specific, but things like, you know, how quickly can you get care um, for a patient, you know, have things sort of happen that they need to have happen. It may not be the standard for things to move so quickly in in a setting that isn't about treating just really sick people. That's a challenge for sure, because we're not our own cancer center and we don't have our own infusion center. And so to be like tiny is wonderful because you can spend spend time on all of these things, but you still have to figure out all the small details like I was sort of alluding to earlier. And that can feel really exhausting and take away from your ability to do what you signed up for, right? Which is to take really good care of patients. But when you're having to deal with all of these kind of bureaucratic things or like, well, I can't, you know, put this in the medical record because it won't let me, you know, it's just like, that's just those frustrations definitely add up into a bigger challenge. Now, with all of these benefits and challenges in mind, there have been a lot of changes over the last couple of years. When the clinic first opened, our providers only saw patients with gastrointestinal cancers. We've now expanded to see patients with many different types, including hematologic malignancies, gynecologic cancer, head and neck cancer, lung cancer, and soon breast cancer. So overall, there are just many more patients. And Angela is still the only social worker. On top of all this, we've also been in a pandemic for the last nine months, which is almost half the time the clinic has been open. So a lot of these patients' appointments are now in telemedicine. What has all of this been like for you? We're just facing the limits of just how many hours there are in a day and how many hours do you spend at work, you know, working with patients and doing um, documentation and talking to each other about patients. They're just isn't the same amount of time to take that same kind of care of every single patient. Um, So we've had to work smarter, I think. I don't, I hope, and I don't think that the care has suffered. We've just had to think really carefully about how to maximize our time and our time with patients. And um, we work on that every day, really. And then we've kind of shifted to this virtual world. Um, And honestly, from a social work perspective, it's been better than ever for me Um, as a professional social worker. I have spent more time with patients on Zoom than I, I think I ever spent in the clinic. We're seeing that, or I'm seeing that patients are willing to prioritize a visit with me for some counseling Um, in a way that they couldn't before. And we started to see that, you know, that patients were 
they didn't feel well and to ask them to come into, you know, downtown Austin into our clinic to park and to pay for parking and to, you know, kind of leave your car and go into the clinic and get to the clinic and wait for your appointment. I mean, just on and on and on the, the number of steps that it took to make that happen. Um, it was just too much. And so patients weren't um, if if they'd accept a first visit, they didn't really want to schedule something for follow up. And in this virtual world, I've gotten to know our patients, I think, way better and been able to do better work with them. So it's been awesome. It's something that we've been advocating for for a long time, and for various reasons, you know, haven't it hasn't really been seen as feasible or as a priority. But in our work, especially, and that's something that social workers do. Like we advocate for. Um, the people that can't really fit in this one box. And so we've been saying forever, especially in our field, that people who are really sick and not feeling well need better ways to access their care. And this is one of them. And we can stay part of their care for longer, too, because we could potentially see them, you know, when they're really not doing well and maybe transitioning, you know, about to transition to hospice or at the end of life and we're able to stay involved in a different way. So I'm excited about that possibility for our clinic to, to hold on to some of that in some form or fashion um, so that it's maybe, you know, as much as possible an option for patients going forward, even when things are better out in the world. I was glad that Angela brought up access and that a part of her work is advocating for people who don't fit in one box. We're in a time when structural racism is being challenged, but there are still disparities in healthcare, including in oncology. I asked Angela what roles social workers have in terms of supporting diversity and inclusion in the clinic environment. In terms of what we do in healthcare social work, it's the same as what I do in oncology, which is really try to enhance the voices of people that aren't at the table. So that could be like a patient or a family member who is just not comfortable talking, you know, with the medical team for any reason. Um, but often there could be cultural differences, differences in language, um, just comfort level with the medical system, you know, maybe some lower health literacy. And so I'm able to kind of step in and be a bridge between the patient and the team and bring their voice to the table, especially in healthcare. And, you know, our clinic, I think, does this way better, but it doesn't mean that it still doesn't come up where there are a lot of patients to see in a day and the clinic is busy. And maybe it's harder to take that extra step to slow down and have a conversation with an interpreter or include a family member. Right now, um, to be very frank, you know, the population that we serve they tend to be insured people. So it doesn't mean that people with health insurance are all um, also very resource rich, but they tend to be people with more resources than people who are uninsured. So something that we've been really advocating for as a whole clinic, because we all really bought into this mission when we started in this clinic, is that our end goal is to be able to really reach a much more underserved population. That's a goal of ours for sure. It just takes some significant resources to be able to provide care for, you know, uninsured or underinsured people. And I don't get the sense we have them yet. It's interesting that another reality of a new clinic is that it takes a while to accrue the resources to be able to see the patients you set out to see in the first place. Patients who might need these wraparound services even more than others. 
while we may be on the right track, there's still a lot of work to do. This topic deserves a lot more time, so make sure you catch our episode next month as well, because we'll focus completely on health disparities. The clinic continues to grow, and we just heard that one of the ways the clinic will change in the future is to see a more diverse patient population. Beyond this, Angela, where do you think the clinic is heading, and where would you like to see it go? One of the things that really drew me to the clinic when I interviewed and then started was this idea that we were going to be able to provide services to people with cancer that went far beyond our clinic walls. So not just, you know, medical appointments and visits with a social worker, but really lots of offerings, you know, outside of the clinic, things like, you know, support groups and educational opportunities for patients and families, even social events, especially for our young adults and caregivers, which are two really specific populations that we have pledged to take care of and to build, you know, programming and support for them. It's something that um, these are two groups that are really often overlooked. And so in terms of where the clinic's headed, I'm hoping that one day in the future, I don't know how distant, but you know, somebody will maybe take that into account when they're choosing where to get treated for their cancer, that it's not just, of course, you need the highest caliber of medicine possible. And an academic medical center is a great place to get that. Uh, But I'd love to see the psychosocial offerings that we have become a part of a patient's sort of calculus, their decision making when they decide where they want to get their care. Like, they'll look at us and say, hey, you know, I I heard from my friend that their mom, who was a caregiver of so-and-so, got really good care, you know, as a caregiver at the LCI. So that's my goal and vision is to really be able to provide that to the community. If I'm dreaming big, we'd have more staff and we'd be able to prove that somehow investing in more staff is a good investment, that it helps, I don't know, with the things that people care about, like patient outcomes, patient experience, maybe even save a little bit of money because to do the work that we're, that we mean to requires a lot of people. I think we've seen that. And, you know, the challenge is figuring out how to try to maintain that same level of care um, with fewer resources, because it's not like every time we get 10 new patients, we get a new social worker or a new dietitian or, you know, It's clear that Angela is extremely passionate about this work, has a lot of goals for the future, and supports her colleagues' emotional balance in the meantime. I asked her how she takes care of herself. I mentioned that I, what I love about our professional discipline is that part of our training is how to take care of ourselves. So this is something you learn in school. It's that important. If you're going to be talking to people all day, you also need to figure out how to make sure that you have sources of rejuvenation and things like that. Um, So I know and my family and friends know that when I get home from work, I usually don't want to talk. I love to talk all day at work. And then when I get home, some quiet time. So I know I need a book and a cup of coffee is like my Zen. So I do a lot of recharging in that way. I joke and laugh a little bit that I never watched much TV until I became a social worker. And then I was like, okay, let me binge this. You know, sometimes you do need time to just kind of detach and take a, a minute. So I've watched a lot of TV in the past 10 years. You know, what's really wonderful about the work 
And it is, again, like a cliche, but I think it's just so true is that doing this work helps you keep things in perspective. And so what you learn from patients, you know, we we meet people all the time that have waited their whole lives, their whole working lives to say, like, go on this big vacation when they retire or all these different things. And then they get sick. And so we, have, you know, I think I've really tried to incorporate that into my life and to know that every day matters. And that really helps kind of inform my my outlook so that I don't really get burnt out. Thank you so much, Angela, for sharing your experiences and insight and wisdom with us today. I looked up the projected career outlook for social workers. And according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, employment of social workers in general is expected to grow by 13% from 2019 to 2029 and by 14% for healthcare social workers in particular. These are both much faster than average compared to other careers, which is a good sign for people who are interested in this field. So my last question for you is this, what would you wanna tell students who are considering a career in social work? I would tell them that social work is a wonderful career path for people who like people who care about people do you you know if you enjoy talking with people and getting to know kind of what drives them and what their life is like and you know what's going on in their world i think it's a great job for you because you will meet so many different people from all walks of life it's hard work um with not a lot of pay oftentimes and not a lot of recognition. I mean, I talked about that earlier. You know, if you're somebody who really needs a pat on the back about your work and what you do, um, you don't necessarily get that in this field. I feel appreciated by my colleagues at this place, but it's been a long road to get here. And, And I would say that too. What I'm talking about, this wonderful job that I have has been, you know, a decade in the making. Um, I had work in a lot of different places and and it was necessary to get that experience in different settings and to learn kind of more broadly how to practice social work. So I think that, you know, it can be sort of a long arc, you know, to get where you want to be and you have to be motivated to get your own, you know, kind of extra training in order to have the extra skills you need to set yourself up. Um, But the work can be really rewarding. And if you hope to make a difference, I think you definitely can um, in this work. And it's not only people who are good at the sciences and can treat the, the illness that can make that difference. You can really make a difference by being someone who can support someone through their mental health challenges as well and support their emotional health as well. If you have questions for Angela Luna, or if you have other cancer questions that we can uncover, please email us at livestrongcancerinstitutes at delmed.utexas.edu. And please make sure institutes is plural. You can find out more about the Livestrong Cancer Institutes at delmed.utexas.edu and about the Livestrong Cancer Institutes clinic at uthealthaustin.org. You can also follow our chair and director, Dr. Gail Eckhart, on Twitter at S. Gail Eckhart. Eckhart is spelled E-C-K-H-A-R-D-T. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe. I am Laura Pavitt, and this is Cancer Uncovered. Thank you for listening.